We're continuing on today in a series I'm calling Our Peace in Christ as we look in the book of Ephesians and its discussion of how Christ is our peace. And uh, today we're looking at a message I'm calling Dead Men Walking, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all con once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The concept of our peace in Christ is spelled out for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. He himself is our peace. He made peace. And he preaches peace. And if that's the good news, and it is, then it plays out in this passage as a kind of good news, bad news sort of thing. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we don't get to choose whether we want the good news first or the bad news first because the Holy Spirit chose for us, we get the bad news first. And that's where this message is. The bad news is telling us uh, about uh, our status as human beings. And it speaks of all humanity in this passage. And it's going to play out under, and it considers them then under its two great divisions of Jew and Gentile. And I can't emphasize that enough for you today. Uh, that uh, when God looks at humanity, uh, He described them as being Jewish, uh, that is the physical descendants of Abraham, and not Jewish. That's everybody else. So you're either Jew or you're not Jew, Jew or Gentile. That's all of humanity. And as God then describes all of humanity in this passage, uh, He kind of takes us to our lowest common denominator. Now that's a math expression. Uh, if you studied fractions in school, you know about how to add fractions with different denominators. It comes in uh, very handy if you're a carpenter and you need to add a quarter uh, and a 32nd. Uh, that makes nine 32nds. If you're a carpenter, you do that in your head. If you're a mechanic, you do it in your head. Uh, because what you have done, if you're going to add two fractions together of different denominations, uh, you have to bring them to the lowest common denominator. Now, God is working in this great mission of peace to bring together the Jew and the Gentile. And in so doing, he starts out by taking us to our lowest common denominator. And I want to make it very clear to you today, the lowest common denominator of humanity is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The lowest common denominator of humanity is that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All have sinned. All have sinned. Lowest common denominator of humanity. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No, not one. No, not one. 
Now, a lot of times we might think that uh, uh, this is not really all that significant. Maybe it's something that you've thought about a lot, and you say, man, why are we bringing this up again? Because as it relates to our peace in Christ, we have to know what Jesus Christ has done for us. The whole basis of His making peace in this world, making peace between the Jew and the Gentile, making a peace for us to live out is all based on this. It all goes back to that common situation that all humanity had. All sinned. All face death. All face judgment. That's why we begin this uh, consideration of this series of messages about our peace under the heading of Dead Men Walking. I'm going to put this up again for you in the ESV because it does so in its characteristically blunt translational methodology. In verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You'll see it. Uh, we all once lived. We were all once walking dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all once dead. And we were all once living in a sense. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we were walking, and we were alive to the passions or the desires of the flesh as manifested then in both the body and the mind. We were by nature. We had a problem. We, were, we had a nature, and that nature was inclined towards sin. And these statements this morning uh, will serve as the outline of our thoughts this common condition of humanity. To think about it in another way, any doctor can tell you that it's a whole lot easier to treat an illness if you know what's wrong with the patient. Uh, and, uh, by the way, an auto mechanic could tell you the same thing. It's a whole lot easier to fix your car if he can tell what's wrong with it. If you cannot diagnose what is wrong with just about anything, you know and I know that you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to treat something and, well, let's try this and see if it works. You don't want your mechanic to say that. You sure don't want your doctor to say that. But unfortunately, sometimes both actually happen, don't they? Well, I'm not sure if this is going to fix your problem. <laughs> that will be $600, please. Uh, pay on your way out. Uh, I want you to know, in a way, it's good news this morning. God knows exactly what's wrong with humanity. You ever find yourself looking around at the world saying, what's wrong with people? Ask God. God will tell you. What's wrong with the world? What in the world is wrong? God knows. God doesn't wonder. He knows exactly what is wrong with people. He knows exactly what is wrong with humanity. He knows exactly what is wrong with the world. And He doesn't leave us in the dark because He tells us, Exactly what's wrong. <laughs> and the good news is, God knows how to fix it. He knows exactly what needs to be done. Now, before I begin uh, going through this passage today, I want to make something very clear, even though I've said it several times in a way. 
I understand that every day the world you and I live in, the world that you work in, the world that you're going to school in every single day becomes more antagonistic to the simple truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If you begin to talk about uh, uh, how that somebody needs to receive Christ as their Savior, if you even ask them, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? You can be fired from some places of employment for asking people that question. You can be kicked out of class for asking people that question. In some countries in the world, you can be accused of a hate crime. In some countries of the world, you can be put in prison. One of our own missionaries had to come home from Russia not too long ago because they outlawed, made it illegal to ask people if they'd received Christ as their Savior. And though it is ridiculed, though you'll see more and more sarcasm, more and more in the news media, more and more in the entertainment industry, ridiculing the question, I'm still going to ask it today. <laughs> and I hope I can keep asking it till I die. Have you received Jesus Christ as your own Savior? If you haven't this morning, then everything this passage says about the condition of humanity without Christ applies directly to you. Everything. If you're in this service today and you have been saved, I want to tell you before you were saved, everything in this passage applied to you. Oh, but you know, Brother Hamlin, I, I was going to church nine months before I was born. I was too. I, I grew up in church. I was too. I did too. We'll talk more about some of those things as we go along. But for the most part, we see that this passage applies then across the board to lost humanity diagnosing the condition of people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and also giving us the incredibly good news that God loves us even though we're sinners. God loves us even though we're separated from Him. God loves us and in Christ there's a remedy. So let's go forward. Let's look at the dead men walking in verse 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now obviously this passage refers to death in a way that is not speaking of physical death. Obviously. Uh, it is spiritual death. And a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, though they are alive physically, they are not alive spiritually. In a, a similar way, kind of a way, a person may undergo uh, or be involved in an accident and have a spinal in injury, and a part of their body then, they'll say, is, is dead. Now, it is alive in the sense that blood is flowing to it, the tissue is alive. A person who has a stroke may have the same situation, but what we're saying when we say that a person uh, has something, a part of them, that though it is alive, it's dead, what we're saying is that it is not open to the sensations of the brain. It's just not there. Don't feel pain anymore. It doesn't feel uh, sensations. Uh, it doesn't feel anything anymore. 
we get a taste of that, just a taste. <laughs> oh, and I hate the taste. When we go to the, deacon, uh, to the dentist and he deadens us, deadens us, uh, maybe we need stitches or, stitches or minor surgery, and they say, well, I'm going to deaden this skin just a little bit. Well, what that does is it uh, makes us immune then to those feelings, those sensations. We don't feel it. So when we're talking about somebody being dead, not physically, but spiritually, that means that physically speaking, you're still alive. That person's alive. They're walking, talking, uh, having all the sensations of life. But spiritually, they're completely dead to God and to the things of God. They don't feel it. They don't know it. They can't understand it. To give you a couple of passages, John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the problem with humanity is that though they're physically alive, they are spiritually dead. They're dead to God. They are dead to the things of God. That's what's wrong. But it goes on because he tells us that those dead people are walking, and they're walking, he says, first of all, according to the course of this world. That is their direction in which they are walking. Like we're talking about the course of a river. We know what it is, meandering though it may be. It is headed inexorably. It is headed uh, following that path of least resistance as it goes down and down and down until it finally hits the ocean somewhere. It's following that path, the course. If you ever get in a river you're gonna, and try to swim upstream, you're going to find out <laughs> that you may win for a while, but the current sooner or later is going to win. And you get in the ocean facing that deadly undertow. You know what it's like to be swimming and doing your best, and yet the current is overcoming you. It, it's dangerous, deadly. Watch those flags this summer when you go to the Gulf. Uh, the current. Think of it in another way. You get on a train, and the train is, is headed west. You're going west, young man. Headed west. On a train, on a train, going west. But you decide, I don't want to go west anymore. I'm going to go east. And you know what? You can go east. If I could do a moonwalk, this would be a great time to do one. But uh, I'd go, you can go east until you get to the back of the train. But it doesn't matter because the train is going west. And though you are walking to the east, they're on something that is going somewhere. Let me tell you something today. You are walking, but if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're walking according to the course of this world. You may try to do good. You may try to say, no, I'm not going to go along with that. I'm going to turn around and go somewhere. I'm going to go this way. But you're on a planet. You're in the world. You're a part of humanity. And that humanity is going in that direction. And the direction is away from God, and the direction is toward a Christless eternity the Bible calls hell. You can try all you want to to be good, but the course of the world is overcoming, and it is pulling you further away from God, further away from good, further and further away from what is right, though you might be doing your best. You can run. The train's going to outrun you. You're walking according to the course of this world. 
person who is dead and trespasses and sins then is headed to this world's de uh, destination and all our efforts keep us going along in that course. Then the passage tells us who is determining the course of this world. It is according to the prince of the power of the air. If it's a train, who's the conductor? It is none other than the devil himself. You may think of your life as fairly pleasant. It may be fairly pleasant, though you don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe you've come here today and, and, and seeking something. You're not sure exactly maybe even what it is. You may be sitting there listening then to this message and saying the Bible says that I'm dead in my trespasses and sins and I'm going according to the course of this world and that's away from God. But hey, I'm in church. My life is not that bad. I, I may be on the road to hell, but it's a pretty pleasant road. I've got lots of company. We're having a lot of fun. I've heard people laugh at hell and say all my friends will be there. Let me tell you this morning, you'll have no friends in hell. None. The Bible tells us every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. It cometh from the Father of lights. And hell is a place of absolute, total darkness. Even if your friends are there, you'll never find them. Everything that's there is evil. You could look at the world you're traveling in the course of this world, all the fun, all the friends, all the parties, and there may be some validity to that if it weren't for what this passage tells us, that it is the devil himself who determines the course of the world. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, You of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. We look around today and we see in the world all the time things that aren't just depraved, they are demonically depraved. How can people, we might ask, conceive of such evil? They don't on their own. They are being led to the one, listen, who is the father of lies, who offers them death and deception, all the while telling them they're free. You're living life the way you want. You're going the way you want to go. You're doing your own thing. You're really in charge here. Nobody's telling you what to do. All the while he's telling you what to do, and you don't even know it. You might say, well, Brother Rich, I know God. I talk to him every day. No, you don't. The only way, listen, the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't gone by the way of the cross, you don't know God. You think you know God. But the fact is you are in touch with a God that's of your own making because the only way you can know the true God is by receiving Jesus Christ as your own Savior. Oh, let me just take just a moment this morning to stop and to ask you, if you haven't made that decision, listen, you don't even have to wait to the end of the sermon. Right where you sit right now, you can receive Jesus Christ as the Savior. Jesus told the story about the man who went to the temple one day surrounded by good godly people thanking God for how good they were. <laughs> and here was this man who couldn't even raise his head toward heaven, 
who prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went on his way justified. It's not hard to be saved. You bow before the King of kings, understanding that he died on the cross for you. You believe on him. He'll save you where you sit. Oh, listen. Only way to know God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the dead men walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Then He tells us these dead men are living, among whom we all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. Speaks of the lifestyle. The lifestyle of humanity, those who are in the world but not in Christ. He speaks of living under their own power, and they do have power. We call it willpower. But that willpower has a tendency in and of itself to lead us away from what is good and what is right. Because there is something about humanity that leads us more toward indulgence than it does toward temperance. It leads us more toward experimentation and experimenting and experience. Try it and see. Try it and see. The devil's been tempting people with that ever since the Garden of Eden. Try it and see. How do you know? You've never tried it. How do you know it's bad? Don't take anybody's word for it something about humanity that causes us to go toward experimentation, experience, and away from the simple concept, no. God said no. I don't want any part of that. See, our willpower doesn't get us very far. So when it comes to lifestyle, living by human power, Paul then goes on to describe a threefold problem with this. First of all, he says that they're fleshly. They do the desires of the flesh, the body. The body has all kinds of desires. We need to breathe air. But there's something about humanity that makes us inclined to breathe in sometimes some things that we shouldn't breathe in. You need a visual. <sighs> things highly addictive, things dangerous and deadly. We need to drink. But sometimes we are tempted to drink things that we shouldn't. We need to eat, but we can eat ourselves into oblivion. All those things are possibilities. We have these fleshly desires. Yes, they are there. We have a desire for companionship. We are social creatures. But this can lead us to a bad crowd of people that takes us in directions we shouldn't go. We have sexual desires, but these can be distorted and perverted and unleashed in a way that is devastating. Fleshly desires are desires of the flesh. But it's not just the flesh. Then there's also the mind because as powerful as the flesh is all on its own, the mind is able to generate incredible desires all by itself. We see something and says, and we say, that looks good. I want it. We hear something and say, well, that has a good sound. I like it. We have a memory that the older we get, uh, the less it seems to work, the more selective it becomes. Uh, I forget things I want to remember. I remember things I wish I could forget. And one of the things I wish I could forget of a lot of things that are memories in our past. You wish your mind could forget them. 
But the fact is that everything that has ever given you pleasure, no matter whether it was right or wrong, and especially somehow the things that are wrong, we remember. And in a moment of weakness, when we're tired, in a moment of exhaustion, when we're spiritually and physically and emotionally drained, when we're depressed and discouraged, when we're wore down, the mind remembers. Remembers those things that gave us pleasure. Remember those things that made us feel better. And without anything else, the mind is able to create those desires for those things all by itself. It's not, it has nothing to do with the desire of the flesh. It has to do with the desire of the mind, and it's very powerful. So we've got the desires of the flesh, and they're strong enough on their own. But then there's the desires of the mind. And then there's another set. Then there's the nature. Now, this is one thing that doesn't equate well with modern humanity. It teaches more and more that all about us is just a matter of choices of genetic composition and predisposition and learned behavior. And for the most part, uh, modern humanity seems to be finding a way to, to try to come to grips with all these things and somehow put an umbrella over them all and say it's good. But the Bible doesn't do that. So while the world tries to tell us that humanity is basically good, the Bible doesn't make that choice. It tells us that we're by nature the children of wrath. This is something we are born with. And it is a nature to sin. And in that sense, I can actually agree with all the people who say, well, I, I was just born this way. Well, in a way, you were. You do have a problem. You do. It's a sin problem. And there is something about us, something about fallen humanity that shows up because we were born with this nature to sin. We are inclined toward it. As a great preacher Spurgeon once said, man is born with his back toward God, and he is. He is. Theologically, this is called total hereditary depravity. It doesn't mean that men are as bad as they can be, but it does mean that you're born with a sin nature and you are powerless to overcome it on your own. So here you are on the train. If I was Josh Turner, to be a long black train. <laughs> it's pulling you away from God. And so many people think about that and say, man, I need God in my life. I know I need Him, so I'm going to go toward Him. But all the while, you're doing everything you can. But it is still pulling you further and further away from God because you are in the course of this world. And even while you're walking, you are walking in your, in your trespasses and in your sins. You can be a religious person, but if you haven't experienced the new birth, then you're still by nature a child of wrath. That is the common condition of humanity, Jew and Gentile. Whatever ethnicity, whatever language, tall, short, whatever body type, whatever, Whatever hair color, whatever eye color, whatever. Common condition of humanity. You are by nature a part of the children of wrath. You are dead to the things of God. And you are walking according to the course of this world.
this is our problem. I want to close out with the words of Simon Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. When he said, by which, and that is by God, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Because we might, while we might have been and were born with the sin nature, through Jesus Christ you can be a partaker of the divine nature. And because of that, you can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. I don't mean to tell you this morning that when you're saved, if you've been genuinely saved, your fleshly desires are going to go away. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. Not according to the teachings of the Bible, because they're still there. And uh, even when the flesh is not giving us trouble, the mind is still operational, and it does a good job on it, all on its own, of generating temptations and taking us down roads we shouldn't go. But as a saved person, Simon Peter tells us, where once all we had was the nature to sin. Now we have a new nature. It is the divine nature. Because the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. Where once we traveled only according to the course of this world, now we are led by the Spirit God, what a difference the gospel of Jesus Christ makes in your life and mine. Now, understanding this has a particular significance to the peace this morning. I want to share with you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, no Jesus, no peace. He himself is our peace. He made peace. He preaches peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ is given to offer you peace. You live in a world full of turmoil. You've got a heart maybe full of turmoil, a life full of turmoil. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ offers you peace. It is the peace of the gospel, a peace that lets us have peace with God. That's available to you today. You say, well, you know, I've been saved for a long time. I'm a child of the king. Then that's a great place to say, thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that he saved us. But as it relates then to the peace of Christ, reminding ourselves of this does something really cool for us. If God could take care of this problem in your life, and He did, then exactly what? What are you facing that you're having trouble trusting Him with? If you can trust Him with this problem, you can trust Him with any problem. If He can fix this, he can fix anything. No wonder the Bible says the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds, hearts and minds through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, please.